Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for the opportunity to study it together today. We pray that we would be sensitive to exactly what you would have to say to us. We pray our hearts would grow in courage and that we would uh, store up things in our faith to grow our faith, to sustain our faith um, through whatever we might face ahead. And so we ask for that in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you probably had good examples growing up, you know, I, I think. And uh, you are able to see someone uh, in your life that, that set before you uh, an example that you could follow, even spiritually speaking. And you may be able to look back and say, man, I am so glad that they did that. Uh, some of it, some of you, maybe your parents didn't walk with the Lord, and so uh, you didn't learn much from them. You didn't see much from them. Uh, today we're going to be talking about an example, uh, the example of Abraham. And I think it's important just to, to remind ourselves how valuable examples are and why it's good to have those in our lives. And maybe even kind of hopefully for you, you might say, I want to be that uh, for my family. I want them to see uh, and I want to declare that to them that God has been faithful, that he is faithful to his promises. And you want to set that kind of example. Abraham is that uh, for these people and hopefully... Uh, we'll continue in that tradition and that others will be able to see us and, and see us walk faithfully before the Lord. So um, it's important to see that, I think. The other thing behind that is, is that th the greater encouragement, you might say, is the God of Abraham. So that you're saying, I want to see God. I, I, I want to see him. I want to see this God who called Abraham out and that fulfilled this promise over and over and over. We're seeing God working, and the promise he made to Abraham finds its fulfillment in Jesus, and then we still are waiting for the fullness of all of that. So I want you to see Abraham. I want you to see the God of Abraham, and hopefully that will clear up some things for you. The promises of God are, are steady and true, and today uh, that's kind of what we're pushing towards. So I think also just to say, like, these people, just always reminding you, they endured uh, difficulty early on. There was a time, it appears, that things were a little more steady. And then the persecution is staring them in the face. And so the waves, you might say, of persecution are staring them in the face. And so as they are looking at that, he's trying to both warn them, but then encourage them. And the warning was like, you don't want to jump ship and go another way. And the encouragement is, God has always been faithful to his promises. Why would you think he's not going to be faithful to you? And so hopefully you will see that as we move forward. Now, one other little thing just to, to, to put in your mind. Jesus is presented as a great high priest, and it's the grounds. Like, because he's our high priest, who's passed through the heavenlies, we can stand on the sure foundation that we will be saved. But then he goes on to say, so in light of that, he exhorts them, don't be dull of heart, be steady and faithful in your life. Pursue the Lord, walk in faith, trust him, look to the others who have gone before you, and you stand firm. So today's big thing is, God's people are to look at the past faithfulness of others to be encouraged 
in their perseverance today. Knowing that perseverance is rooted in the promise of God. So really, I mean, when it all comes down, when you're left with whatever you're left with, you're, you face whatever you face or whatever, it all comes down to believing what God has said is true. That's just, you've got you to get to that point. And you've got to move forward in that. And you can't slow down in that. So let's look at this in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abram, now, or Abraham, what is the promise? I mean, just write, if you don't have it down in your head or whatever, just write in your Bible, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, that's where all this begins, the promise made. It is, I mean, a, it, it's, there's probably not a more pivotal and central passage in all the Bible. Just to get in your mind, just put that down, and it will help you. And, and what you'll see is, we're going to look at it real quick, uh, just let, let's, if you want to hold your spot, you can turn there, go back to Genesis, first book of the Bible, go to chapter 12, and you'll see it. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what are we saying? God initiated this promise with Abram and made his name, of course, later Abraham. But he says to him, I will do this. God began this process with him. Abram was like, Abraham, I'll keep kind of going back and forth in that, but Abraham's just kind of going along, doing his own thing, living as an idolater in the world, separated from God, no knowledge of God. God comes to him and says, Abraham, get all your stuff together. You're leaving your home. You're leaving your country. You're going to a place that I will show you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, it is just a shocking thing. And, and, you know, for him, even in that moment, to think that someone would come to you and say, it's not like us going on a trip. I mean, it is, the, he's got to pick up everything, and they've got to carry it out, and he's leaving, and you can imagine him speaking to his family. God has come to me and told me to pick my stuff up and hit the road. And he's going to show me where I'm supposed to go, I'm going to walk by faith all the way in that journey. I know I don't have any children, but this is what I'm going to do. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing that God makes to him, a promise that he makes to him. Now, this promise that is made is something that Abraham had to wait for. Sometimes I'll say, to my boys like we may do that well that means to them we are going to do it and then if it doesn't happen it's people are, are like revolting like you're lying you you don't tell the truth that's I, i'm like i said it might happen i mean it, we might go do that you said it would happen and you know it's like this whole deal and i'm like what is going on here but it's it is one of those things where you think Abraham picked up everything. And it wasn't just like, hey, we might go to dinner tonight. 
It is a promise to bless him and to keep him. But the deal is, is he doesn't see all of that. Not even in his lifetime. He doesn't see the fulfillment of the promise. And for us, like, that's remember what Jesus said? Blessed are you who have seen, but blessed are those who will, like, who never saw all these things yet believe. It, it's, it's a powerful thing. And I think we have to say that Christianity is really, uh, it is, it's a walk of faith. It, it, it is believing what you do not see and acting upon it. It is acting upon it. It is living in light of it day by day when you cannot see and everything around you that you can see seems to be like maybe an easier path. Christianity is walking by faith and not by sight. Do we have a promise that we await? Yes. In chapter 4, verse 1, it's the promise of rest. In chapter 9, verse 15, the promise of an eternal inheritance that we have to wait for that we are waiting for now some of you didn't want to get up this morning you come to church in faith believing the promise you give in faith believing the promise you serve in faith believing the promise you do it in faith because you believe what god has said that you are not wasting your life by pursuing the things of God. You're doing it in faith. And Abraham believes God. And what you go on to say, he says, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you. Now, what's happening here? He believes God's promise And God is going to follow that up with an oath. Why would he have to do that? I mean, in part, most people, writers would say, God is kind of graciously coming down to humanity where we might say something like, I promise this, but we don't mean it. I will do this, but we don't mean it. But what we have to do then is get to that place where we say, okay, are you sure? Are you sure you're, you're telling me the truth? And you say, I swear. And that changes things for us. So what is he doing? God is going to swear by himself. Why does he do that? Because usually whenever someone makes a promise in this way or, or swears something, they are swearing to a higher power, something beyond them. And we'll talk about that a little bit further. But you just need to know that. Well, since God is the ultimate, there is nothing beyond Him that could be you could swear by. So God makes a promise, and then he, he swears or makes an oath. Now, why would He do that? To help Him stay like to the end. Sometimes you need multiple ways, and God in His grace would provide him multiple ways to say, I can wait. He said that He would do it. It's like what Jesus says, like, when Jesus said, like, and I'm going to return. And you say, what do you mean? And He would repeat it over and over. I'm coming back. I'm coming back for you. And you kind of, 
need to hear that, that he will do what he says that he's going to do. So he makes this oath, and in verse 15, and thus Abram, or Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Do you um, find it helpful, again, to have someone go before you that you can look at and say, they stayed the course? I would say, most of the time, yes. I was telling the boys earlier, I was teaching them, and I was saying, in my house, sometimes it might be one of uh, my boys' like cousins. I might say, when Nathaniel was eight, he was doing this. And you're like, what? He, he did that? Or you might could say something like, last week, Chandler and your Uncle Jason, they walked through here before us. And everybody kind of perks up. They walked through here? Yep. Do you think we can? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think we can. Yeah. But it, it is one of those things that's helpful. So it's nice for us to see, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, when we're talking about this, Paul even writes about it, and it's almost like he speaks of it in this sense, he believed against hope. It, it, actually, in hope, he believed against hope. It, there's in another passage in Romans 4, 18, um, that where he said he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It's, it's kind of this picture where you're seeing him believe and grow in his, in his firm foundation of trusting God. Now, here's the other thing that's just important to note. This is tied to something that happened, the oath after his greatest test. What was Abraham's greatest test? God says, hey, Abraham, Go up on the mountain. Take your son of the promise. Lift your knife up and you kill him and offer him as a sacrifice. Like this oath comes post that. And the, the obtaining of the promise where the oath kind of comes before him is kind of following all of those things. It's one of those things where you say, man, I, everything in Abraham would have to be shook, you know, shook to the core and yet... He stands there un, like unmoved, and he, he just does what the Lord has told him to do. And the reality is, is the way the Scripture presents it, is he actually believed so much in the promise that God made that he believed that if he killed his son, God would raise him up from the dead to fulfill the promise that he made. I, I think it's just important for us to see that. Because, I mean, the reality is, it's like some of you might say, I don't doubt my faith. I, I, I don't doubt my faith. And some of you may say, no, I've been there before. I've doubted what I believe. I've doubted the message. I've doubted this. I've doubted that. And some of you might say, you know what? The way I doubt, Jared, is I spend my life thinking about how to make sure that I have all these things secure so nothing can kind of shake me. The anchors I built, they're built by my hands. I've got all these anchors that are holding me so that when the storm comes, I'm secure. I'm steady. 
I'm in this place of just like, I'm all good. And you say, what, what, what kind of storm? All kinds of storms. It, it, doesn't, you might, it might be a literal storm. It might be figuratively like your family storm. It might be the financial storm. And every time that you think about those storms, you say, I got an anchor, I got an anchor, I got an anchor, I got an anchor. And none of those anchors are grounded in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. None of them are grounded in the promises of God. They're grounded in earthly things. That's why when they seem like they might get shook up, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I can't, oh, I, this is going to be horrible. And you race around trying to shore up the anchors that you've built. It's a dangerous thing. Abraham is trusting the promise of God, willing to climb that mountain and take his son and kill him, believing he'd even raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise. Now, it is good to look back and see people that stood strong in faith. Abraham is an, an amazing example. Many occasions growing up I would hear, grow in your faith. Grow in your faith. Build up your faith. Do the spiritual exercises of your faith, man. Like, keep working out so that it, from a faith standpoint, keep building that. That's the only sure foundation. That's the only thing you can hold fast to. That's the only thing that will really keep you in the coming storm. Now, we move from that where we're saying, hey, God... God's promise confirms his oath. Like God is saying, uh, it, it, it's confirmed by an oath, really. You could say when he makes a promise, he follows it up with a, to Abraham. But really, he follows up that oath post one of the most difficult things that Abraham could face. Now, what's up with an oath? Look at verse 16. We'll see kind of an explanation. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is... Uh, is final for confirmation when i was a kid we would always get into arguments about all kinds of stuff and uh i could just see me with all the boy you know my brothers and friends we're out there and somebody makes a claim and everybody's like you're lying you know like i don't think that's you're not gonna do that like or you didn't do that or whatever i mean one time we tied up one of our friends on the basketball goal because we had this big dog that would jump up and hated balls. So we were going to bounce the ball in front of the dog, tie the kid up. And he's like tied up like this. The dog's like jumping over. And we're saying, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We know you were lying. You know, he wouldn't relent. So we kept bouncing the ball. The dog keeps like going after him. Not, not hurting him, but just like it was, you know, shocking. But we were always trying to like, everybody's like, what? Be like, I, we will do that to you here. No, I'm just joking. But, but it's just like one of those things where you're saying, like we were wanting to kind of get to the heart of it. Like, I mean, are you, are you telling me the truth? Are you absolutely and completely, when you say you're going to do this, are you going to hold fast to it? Sometimes when you're a little kid, it's like a pinky promise. Another one, which I would say, don't do this, but we used to say, I promise to God, hope to die, stick a thousand needles in my eye. That, now, what were we doing? We were calling, like, before God, we were saying, like, hey, if I, like, d don't do this, I will stick a thousand needles in my eye. You're like, oh, Eric's like, oh, oh, this is scary. Yeah, no, but, but I think it's important just to say this. For 
people are making swear, they swear by something, and when they make an oath, whatever it may be, uh, you know, government officials where they make an oath, or if you're going into court and you say, like, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. When I'm doing that, it's like, okay, we're done. Like, they're stepping up there, they're going to tell the whole truth. That's how things work, and that's what he's saying. When God's making this oath, that's what it's doing. It's just showing the reliability of it. It's not saying that God's unreliable. It's rather like he's kind of condescending down to man and saying, you know how y'all do this? I'll do this to show you, to doubly promise you. Look at verse uh, 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly, convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast uh, to the hope set before us. So what's he saying? God's coming down to them. It was not necessary for him to do it, but he did it, and he did it to convince us otherwise that he may have made that promise and forgotten. He formalizes it with an oath. Now, these two unchangeable things, like when you think about that, it's the word of the promise and his oath. So that God has these two things as a witness. I promise to do it. I make an oath by myself that I will do it. I will bring this to pass. Now, who are the people is he get, that he's giving this to? You could say, well, he made that promise and oath to Abraham, but it, it, it goes on. It moves on into all of the people who are children, you might say, of the promise. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, remember what we said. Just think, okay, if you need a reset, think with me just for a minute. You ready? These people are frightened. They are being told by everyone around them, trouble's coming or they're hearing about it there's all kinds of stuff you might say going on in the streets and it's this news is coming to them their families all along have said like why are you trusting in this dead messiah and they've said no he's alive he's reigning in heaven i'm holding fast to him but the waves of adversity see, like it's almost like looking out at the sea and you're saying the waves are getting bigger. And inside of you, you're going, those waves are getting bigger like I can't hold on. And the author says, if you jump, you're going to jump to your death. There is no hope in anything other than Christ. And he warns them. And then he comes alongside them and says, You've got to stop for a moment and think about the promise made to Abraham. God fulfilled it, and God kept him. So that both the warnings and the promises become the means by which God helps them persevere. And that is what you're seeing. What God was doing with Abraham, He's also doing for us today. He doubly promised that he would bring it to pass. 
The question is, do you trust the character of God that when he makes a promise, he will do it? Now move on. Verse 18, the last part of that. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now what we who have fled for refuge, you might, we might be talking about some of these people have had to leave their homes because of their commitment to Christ. Some, on the other hand, might be at home but almost feel like, the own, like they are in exile. Some might hear these things for the first time and be in prison. Some might be free. But he is saying we have this hope that that is set before us. We, we have a refuge here that like we can have strong encouragement and hold fast because of the hope. Like There's something that is secure here for us. We need to understand the hope set before us here and hold fast to it. That's kind of what he's laying out for us here. And so what is the hope? That we shall be with Christ, that we shall ultimately be like Christ, that we shall experience eternal glory with Christ, that we have an inheritance that will never fade away, a sure foundation that we can stand upon. We don't have to, anything to fear. So, moving on. We are to look, again, back to those faithful people of old and persevere. And we, we, we really persevere in light of God's promise and oath. So, first we kind of looked at that. We looked at the oath. We looked at the explanation of it. And now just say, we're going to say, what is this thing that we're hoping in? So let's look at it. Verse 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what's he saying? He starts with the soul. That's the inner part of a person. It's the immaterial part of a person. It's deep down in the depths of the person. And he's saying, like, we have this. In, in, our, in the depths of our person, we can, we can like, trust the Lord. There, there is something going on here, and you'll notice what he says, this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, something that can keep you, that, that can keep you from drifting, that can keep you like set in the midst of the storm, that can keep you from running aground and being like shipwrecked. All of those things, we have something here that will keep us steady. Now, as I said, some of us have really great human anchors. What might those be? Some of you here, you might say, hmm, well, my 401k is a good human anchor. My house being paid for maybe is a good anchor. My family unit, we're really tight. It's a good anchor. Uh, you, you could have a long list of the anchors where you say, oh, those things, those kind of, th those are the things that make me be able to sleep good at night. Right? But in these people's case, they did not have the luxury of saying, well, everything's together with our family. Some of them may have been torn from their family. Well, 
you know, I have a really good job. Some of them in the early first century lost their jobs for the faith. Well, we have a nice house. Everything's kind of steady. It's paid for. Well, some of them, some of them maybe, they've had to flee their house in the middle of the night, right? And what, it, what he's saying is, is we have a place for not like it's an immaterial thing. It's something deep within your heart where you can go and hold fast. Now, the, the persecution's all around, insecurities everywhere, and they can fix their soul firmly on God who's made a promise to them and stand firm. Now, I want to read a couple of quotes to you that I think will help you. Uh, think about this and think clearly about it. There is this difference, however, in this way, whereas sailors cast their anchors down into the depths to grip the ocean bed, the Christian's anchor ascends to the supreme heights of heaven. It is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain the place where there's stability in this present life, internal kind of stability, you might say, where there's security and rest. So what, what's he saying? He's saying, look, you, there's a way of you like getting a rest, an, an internal rest before the Lord that is stable and secure, and it is not like the foundations of the earth that you're touching, but rather it's being driven up to heaven where you have anchors there. And like I said, some of us are really good at the earthly anchors and don't really think much about the spiritual anchors, but the reality is the anchor of heaven is the place where you can actually find stability. It is the place that really gives true rest. It is the place that is not shaken by all of the affairs of men. Now you'll notice here, he speaks of this inner place behind the curtain. The anchor of the soul is found there. The anchor of Christian hope enters in, in here, right? Into the holy of holies, the sacred place, into the presence of God. There is this anchor that is a heavenly anchor that you're able to go into the presence of God and there find stability, there find strength, there find a hope that is sure. There find like the presence of God. That, that's where this anchor is. You're going behind the curtain. And before, and, and you just got to think about it in this way, um, before you could say, yeah, I, I know a little bit about that. Remember the great high priest, he would go in once a year on behalf of the people, and they, they could uh, hear that he, he came out safe and their sins had been dealt with. But now we have this behind-the-curtain place that we are able to go. And you might say, well, how can we do that? I want you to look back at the verse here. Where Jesus, verse 20, has gone before as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has brought us access to there. He has not just gone in but in, and deserted us. He actually has made the way for us he has opened up the way by his entering in and laying down his life as a perfect sacrifice being accepted by God he has torn the veil of the temple so that you can enter in to that place of stability and security 
That's what he's saying. Listen, you understand that you have a promise that Abraham had, but it's far greater in your knowledge today because now we're saying, hey, you're getting to enter into blessing. You're getting to enter into the presence of God. You get to enter into that stability, and it anchors your whole soul. There's some of us, you're saying, oh, I'm tormented. I can't think, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. You're tormented by all these things, and you say, well, you know where I'm going to go get an anchor? I'm going to go to this place or that place or wherever on this earth. And the reality is, is he's saying, look, if you want a true anchor for your soul, it needs to go up towards heaven, into the presence of God, through Christ, who is the sacrifice that was accepted by God so that we could be in good standing with him so that we're not fearfully coming towards the, the veil, but we are, the veil has been opened and we can enter in. That's what he's saying. That gives you stability. That gives you a hope that does not disappoint. That opens up a way so that you can trust and follow Him. This grounds your confidence. There's this heavenly sanctuary that you have been able to enter into. Now, the apostles, when they spoke of Jesus, have a few things that just to kind of think about when you're saying, I need to think about the promise of Christ, the hope that's found in Him, the foundation that I can stand on, the Word of God made flesh that has dwelt among us. Tell me about Him. The apostles consistently proclaimed things about Him without embarrassment and listened to Him. One, they said He was raised from the dead. Two, they said He ascended into heaven. Three, He, he has been exalted and glorified. Four, He's coming again. Five, over and over he was humiliated in his incarnation and his death and then crowned with glory. Six, he is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Seven, he is victorious and he is the victorious and exalted Savior who is, we are urged to look at as we run the race. Eight, he is the living mediator of the new covenant and we can come to him. Nine, he is the risen shepherd of the sheep, and he continues to tend his flock. Ten. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what are we saying? Thing after thing after thing, they're committing to you and commending to you. Follow Jesus. Trust him. Hope in him. He is your sure foundation. So as we kind of like conclude today, you're, all he's saying is, Look at Abraham. He faced trouble. And he faced more trouble. And he faced frightening things. And he stood fast in the faith. He had his hope placed on God, who doesn't lie. And so you, who have far greater revelation than Abraham, you've seen promises fulfilled. You've seen this hope realized in Jesus. Now you're looking forward to the future, but how much more do you know than Abraham? You run like Abraham. You trust like Abraham did, who rested in the promise of God. You set your anchor in heaven where there's true stability, eternal stability, and, and where there's a hope where you can enter into this holy place and find comfort and refuge from the storm. Some of you might think right now, oh my goodness, the next few years there's coming a day and a difficulty that we have never known. And that may be the case. 
We don't know that. But what we do know is there is a foundation that we can set our hope upon that is so sure that any of our thoughts of like finding security on earth, those things grow strangely dim when we see and savor our Lord and our Christ. So, here we go at the end. I wanted to read a hymn that we sing regularly and uh, just to, for you to hear it again. Uh, we've, read, we've done many today that really point us back to this reality, but I want you to just listen to it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. When He shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I then in Him be found, in Him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word of promise. We thank You for Your stability of like upholding that. We thank you for your oath that just helps sure us up. We thank you for the example of Abraham who trusted in you by faith. And we pray, Lord, that we would have a soul that is anchored. When we're afraid and frightened about this present age and what's going on around us, I pray that we would not try to build a foundation on sand but build the foundation on the heavenly rock, and that rock being Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.